Well, I'm, I'm super excited to be here uh, and be able to share again tonight. Um, it's just been a real, you know, it's been about 10, 10 days, uh, little, yeah, a little over a week ago that we returned from a trip to uh, uh, the place where we lived and served for many years, both Turkey and Tajikistan. And, and so I'm excited I was, uh, just to hear the stories of what God is doing in that part of the world where we, uh, we, we, we lived and invested a lot there, and, and it was just very, very encouraging for me and my family to see what God is doing. And I'm going to share uh, uh, just one testimony uh, in particular tonight with you um, that just really has me excited. And, and you know, God is moving as we, as we trust him for, the, for souls, and whether it's here at home or in, the, in this community or in the far to the far reaches of the earth god is moving and god is god is doing a mighty work in this in this world we hear the stories the media you know we it gets the attention the the bombings and the things that happen uh the persecution sometimes we get the stories most of the time we don't hear what's happening in the in the uh, among um churches and believers in persecuted countries but i'm here to say that god is on the move in in lands that are, um, there's opposition, but there's incredible um, success stories and, and fruit that is uh, being born out of a lot of, a lot of struggle, a lot of trial, uh, a lot of investment, a lot of pouring out. But when we invest, when we sow, how many of you know, God gives the increase. And that's what we were again reminded of as we took that uh, trip uh, last week. And... Um, you know, I'm also excited to be just part of uh, serving here with the leadership team, and we've had a few meetings together, and it's just been really encouraging to see, just to hear your pastor's heart um, for uh, the church and for the community, and to be a part of, of, a, of a big vision, to be a part of a big uh, mission. Uh, it's, you know, you see those words flashed up on the screen, maybe you notice them from time to time, uh, reach, raise, and release. And that is being, uh, that is being um, just etched into my heart, etched into my heart and mind, this whole idea of reaching, raising, and releasing. And I've heard and I've seen firsthand some of the things God is doing in this church to reach and raise, uh, reach people with the gospel, raise them up in the power of God's truth, and, and to release them uh, in ministry. And and so it's just exciting to be part of that, and you're going to hear more about that in the days to come. And, and, just, and even as I, you know, we, we look toward Easter and, and um, Resurrection Sunday, and as Pastor was saying, who do you say I am? It's going to be a powerful message. Do bring a friend. That's, I, I see this as, a, as, a, uh, as an opportunity to reach this community. And um, so let's focus on the reach part this, this week, and let's band together, uh, bring a friend, bring a loved one, uh, bring uh, a co-worker, somebody who needs to hear the good news of the gospel, and let's see God transform lives uh, this Sunday as we gather together. I'm going to skip ahead uh, beyond Resurrection Sunday tonight a little bit and talk about um, a passage, uh, I'm going to kind of just break apart a little bit, a passage from Hebrews chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. Um, this week in particular, um, in the story in the life of Christ, it was a very much, a, is very much a transitional week as we look at the life of Christ. Pastor Sean 
spoke about how Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Prince of Peace who, who brings peace to our hearts and lives. He didn't come on a, on a horse waging war. He came on a donkey, um, which symbolized peace. Um, and so he goes into this transitional period, this week-long period of, of uh, we call the Passion, the week of Passion, the Passion Week. Just the suffering of Christ, the, the, what he was anticipating going to the cross, um, and all that that entailed. So there's, it was very much a transitional week, and a lot of things were going to change after this week. A lot of things were going to be different uh, following the resurrection of Christ. Um, and even as he entered Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and as the days go on, we see this, um, things are heating up uh, emotionally, relationally, physically for Jesus and his band of followers. And um, there's, the, you know, it's, you look at that and you don't, you don't see necessarily the actions of of a of a of the prince of peace necessarily you look at that and you say wow jesus took some bold steps in jerusalem when he entered he took you know he one of the first things he did is he turned over all the tables of the money changers in the temple and uh then you know he there were he he spoke those woes if you look at in matthew you look at the woes that he spoke over the the hypocrites the sadducees and the pharisees um he he didn't he didn't, uh, he didn't just uh, step into that situation, you know, and, and say, well, I'm just going to get through this and get to the cross. No, he, he took bold steps, and he took a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of hits from that, too, a lot of persecution. But, but, but he, was, he was on a path. He set his face like flint toward Jerusalem and, and then the cross. And he was on, on a mission. Um, so Jesus, he, he determined to walk this path of suffering to become the pioneer of our salvation. So there's a lot that changed following the resurrection of Christ. There's a lot that took place both in, the, both in Christ and his position uh, as he was exalted to the right hand of fa- the Father and is now our intercessor, our mediator, our... Um, he's our deliverer, he, he's our savior, he's all these things. And it also changed a lot for his, um, his followers as well. He said, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit. And, um, and you're going to experience relationship with me like you've never experienced before. It's going to be better than you have, you know, walking with me, physic- having, you, having me with you physically side by side. Uh, for these past three years that he was with, those past three years that he was with his disciples. It's going to be better than that. You're going to experience uh, a depth of relationship with me through the Holy Spirit that you could, would have never been possible before. And that's where we are now. And that's where, that's the, that's the, the, um, the place that we are now uh, in relationship with him. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 2 and, and, um, I want to, our main text is going to start at verse 9, but I want to read verse 5 to 8 first. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. It says this, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. You know, this, this, uh, this passage here, and it's quoting Psalm chapter 8, is it, it's, there's kind of a dual, uh, two layers going on here. Uh, where it's speaking of, of man and the, the authority God had given, has given to man as, as uh, making him a little lower than the angels and, and uh, crowning us with glory and honor as his creation, putting everything under his feet. So in that sense, it's talking about us as being, being um, as, as his children being made in the image of God. We are, we are um, stewards. We have authority over, this er- over the things of this earth. We have a place and a position that has been given to us, um, a place of glory and honor. But we know what man has done with that is, and, and has failed in that role as stewards. And um, so we've, we've let that... But then, it, but then if you look at that from another perspective, we see Jesus. And it says it's put... We can, we can apply it to Jesus as well from the scriptures. It says, In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. But yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. So there's a, there's a seemingly, there's a discrepancy here. We look at, we, we see that everything's been put under the feet of Jesus. He is now uh, Lord and Savior. He is the, he is, um, the authority, um, it says the, he's been exalted to the highest place. Um, so, but we, as children of God, we were meant to display God's rule and glory on the earth. But again, we failed in that role. And it says in Psalm 115, verse 16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Wow, what a, what an, what, that's a lot of trust that God gave to man this dominion over the earth. And it was mismanaged and it was forfeited. Um, But the good news is that it was exercised perfectly by Jesus Christ when he came. And uh, he was that, he's that new, new Adam who came, the perfect man, who showed us how it needs to be done. So instead of it, there's a in Genesis four. So this was an age-old problem here. Even uh, with Cain and Abel, we see um, when there was um, when there when before Cain um, murdered Abel, God said to Cain, "If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must master it." Well, we all know the story. Instead of mastering sin and stewarding the earth well, we've let sin master us, and we've made a mess of the world. And so, um, what's the point of this, this passage here? It could be that the author of Hebrews is, is really simply sa- stating uh, position and power are not enough. We need a pioneer. Position and power are not enough. We need a pioneer of our salvation to show us the way. And that's what Jesus did. He came as a pioneer of our salvation to show us how it needs to be done. So we need to pay attention to Jesus. And this is the whole 
really the whole the first couple chapters of Hebrews really can be summed up in this pay attention to Jesus. The, he's superior in every way. He's superior over prophets, over angels, over men. Let's pay attention. Let's look to Jesus. So, if Jesus is who he says he is, shouldn't all creation just be bowing to him? You know, in-between times are funny that way, aren't they? We just, you know, what we know is not fully realized. What we hope for is not yet completely fulfilled. The kingdom is both here and not yet. And so, no, we don't see everybody bowing to Jesus. We don't see a world in submission to him yet. And just to reiterate verse 8, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, yet at present, we do not see that. We do not yet see everything subject to Jesus. But I love this. pastor mentioned it a couple weeks ago, I think. I love the, the buts or the neverthelesses of Scripture, um, that are throughout Scripture. And so as we go on to verse 9 of, cha- of Hebrews, chapter 2, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I would declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for uh, these moments of being able to sit at your feet and gain perspective, be reminded, and be taught of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. But we see Jesus. This is interesting because the word see, if you look at verse 8 and verse 9 and compare, uh, it says that when we, verse 8 talks about a type of looking or seeing that is really passive. We, We see a world that is not subject to Jesus. It's more of a passive kind of looking. But This idea in verse 9 of we see Jesus is a very intentional look. It's a focused look at Jesus. And that goes goes right along with other other parts of Scripture that say fix your eyes on Jesus. Set your eyes on him. Fix your focus on him. Set your eyes on him. We, you know, we see... uh, 
we need, we need from time to time, regularly, to be reminded of who Jesus is to us and what he means to us in terms of the, 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 the many facets of his character and of the things he's provided for us. He's become that perfect model. He's worthy of the, of the focus of our faith. He's worthy. So the author of Hebrews, he's calling us to pay attention to Jesus. Fix our gaze on him. Jesus fulfilled all that the scripture says of the dignity and honor of man. You know, we look at, at, at humankind and we look at the fall of man and we look at fallen man and we see nothing, nothing that speaks. We see, a, we see a blurred image. We see... We don't see, uh, if, we're, if we don't, if we look hard, if we look, we need to look very hard or closely to see dignity and honor in our world today among men because it's blurred, it's, it's scarred by sin and the, and the image of God in man has been scarred. But Jesus comes as the new Adam. He comes as, as the perfect man to, to reveal um, what it can be like as... as um, and to restore the dignity and honor of man. So Jesus uh, not only came uh, to restore that dignity and honor of man, but he was also raised to glory, and he tasted death for everyone. So he, how do these, how do these truths about Jesus benefit us? Let's talk about just my first point here. The author, he's the author of salvation. Verse, verse 10 here, it says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through him everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. You know, I learned just recently, you're not an author until you... <laughs> uh, I just recently published a small book, um, and I, it, I, it was a process, as writing is a process. And it reminded me, as I was looking at this this. Uh, this, uh, he, this verse here about Jesus being the author of our salvation, it reminded me that we're, you're not an author until you finish. You've got to complete it. You've got to submit it. You've got to kind of put that last dot, you know, and that last punctuation mark and the end. And, uh, you know, you've got to do that and then you've got to take, take those final steps of finishing the work. And Jesus finished. Jesus pioneered the way. And he pioneered the way of perfectness through suffering. So like the author of a book, Jesus writes the story of salvation from beginning to end. And I'm wondering what story he has written and wants to continue to write through our own stories of suffering and trial and challenges that we face in life. He's writing a story. He's writing an awesome, beautiful story in each one of us. And, and it's through that message, there's a life message formed in each one of us that speaks to people. What you're going through has a direct correlation to the people God puts in your life to, speak, to share that story with. There's a story being written. Jesus is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? So he's, he's pioneered that for us. So in, in another sense, we might see an author as, a, an, as an expert in his field. Well, 
Jesus is like that too, isn't he? He's the only one qualified to save us. He's the expert. He's the source of all wisdom and understanding. He's the one we go to. He's the one who speaks truth into our lives. He's the one who has the answers. He's the expert that we can go to. He's the one qualified as the author of our salvation. So it says, Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He's the source of salvation. You know, we can look at that and say, well, how, if Jesus was perfect, why does it say he was made perfect? Was he not perfect before? Well, this is speaking of not the fact that he was somehow made more perfect morally, but he was more, his work was perfect. He be, his work was complete. He identified completely and perfectly with our condition, and therefore he's qualified to be our perfect Savior. So he's our, the author of our salvation. He's also, number two here, our elder brother. How many of you have elder brothers? Yeah, we've got a lot out there. Um, I have two of them. So the, the, uh, the suffering and the trials that we go through as, as younger siblings sometimes. But, you know, because it says here, both the one, this is verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. I love that. What does that mean? Who makes men holy? It's Jesus. And who are the ones who are being made holy? It's us. And we're of the same family. Jesus, our elder brother. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed of that. He says, I will declare your name. He's declaring it in heaven right now. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. He shares our humanity. He has intimate, firsthand knowledge of what flesh and blood feels like and experiences under the weight of sin. Jesus knows. He feels our pain. You know, sometimes elder brothers can be the source of our pain, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had some of that growing up. Teasing and no sympathy. Getting left out. Yeah, I felt, the, I felt some of that. But Jesus, as an elder brother, knows how to defend our cause, knows how to uphold us, knows how to, def- to, to strengthen us, knows how to encourage us. It's interesting here. You know, he's our elder brother because he shares our humanity, but he's also be- he's our elder brother because of family resemblance. You know, you, you hear, you know, say, oh, you look like your brother. You look like your sister. You, you resemble your father or mother. But he's our elder brother, and the scriptures, this is speaking here of there's a resemblance that we have because of our relationship with, with him. We're heirs with him. We have the same father, and we are becoming like him. Not becoming little Christ, like some people would say, perfect in that sense, 
We're becoming like Christ. We're be- There's a family resemblance. So because he's also our elder brother because of his actions toward us. He's our defender. He's our prote- protector. He's unashamed to claim us as his own. And I, I had some of that growing up too. Few and far between. But once in a while, my older brothers would defend me. You know, I remember one place in the, in a, in the schoolyard when I was um, junior, I think I was probably junior high, my brother was in high school, and there was this bully that was kind of always picking on me, and, and I remember he, he got after him in that schoolyard one day and just, just pounced on this guy who was, who was, who was bullying me, and he, he told him, he, 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 he sent a very clear message that he wasn't to touch me anymore. And uh, I remember that, and I think, of, I think of being defended by my older brother that way, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good feeling. And, and Jesus defends us. Jesus stands up for us. Jesus upholds our cause. When the enemy brings accusation against us, Jesus says, he's mine. That, that person is a daughter of mine. That is my son. That is my child. Don't touch them. Jesus is our elder brother. Hallelujah. We also see in Jesus our deliverer, our strong deliverer. Verse 14 of Hebrews says, of Hebrews chapter 2, Since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's our deliverer. Through his death, Jesus has taken the sting out of death, it's been removed. He's deemed death powerless. He's freed us from the fear of death. Fear is death's weapon of choice. I was reminded of that when, when my father was um, dying of cancer, and there was a great fear that he expressed. In, and it was a... Uh, and the enemy, and though he was a believer and a follower of Christ, the enemy used that to, to cause a, a, him to go into great depression and feel defeated and feel like his life meant nothing. And um, yeah, he was, a, he was pretty much of a, a workaholic, so he didn't have a strong relationship with Christ. So the enemy knew how to get in there and cause that fear to just control him in his final days on this earth. I believe he's been delivered from that fear. We can be delivered from that fear now. We don't have to wait. The fear of death has no sting. It's often the fear of death that is worse than death itself. And we need to, we need to be reminded here that Jesus is our deliverer. He's our strong deliverer. Death is an entryway into the glorious unknown, and it's going to be an, an awesome adventure. And, and Jesus pioneered the way and he says because i went through it i'm preparing a place for it for you that no ear has heard no eye has seen what i have in store for you so fear has to do with punishment but as our deliverer jesus sets us free from both the fear and the power or the sting of death muslims have a great fear of demons and death um that's why they work so hard, a devout Muslim works so hard at trying to earn brownie points with God, so to speak. 
there's a great fear of death and punishment by God who, because he's not a, they don't see him as a father, a loving father. There's not that uh, understanding of God. He's a judge um, who's, who's um, he's, he's tallying up the points. He's, he's watching. He's making sure that you don't overstep or you don't, you don't sin. And he, in, the, in the end, the scales are going to be weighed. Uh, your good deeds, your, your bad deeds, and whatever one, uh, you know, it, it's, all, it's, all about, it's all about works. So there's this, there's this um, fear of death. And, but when we were um, just uh, two weeks ago in Tajikistan, where we served for 15 years, it's 99% Muslim, so it's, um, we served uh, predominantly among Muslim people and had, had great friendships and great relationships with them. One of those individuals, her name is Masuma, and she was one of the believers who came to Christ in the early days when we were there. Um, she, um, a Muslim husband uh, who did not come to faith, a, a mother-in-law who actually brought her to faith. Um, so it was really an incredible testimony what God did in this woman's life. And all the years we've been, in, you know, we've been investing in her. She works, still works, um, with the uh, humanitarian organization that we started there, which is a which is a faith-based. Uh, humanitarian organization for women at, that, that serves women at risk, children uh, and children as well. They have a shelter, a resident shelter for abused and battered women, and um, they're, they're doing an awesome job. They're giving job skills to these women, um, Muslim, Muslim women who come out of just um, horrific backgrounds and, and stories that they have. But, but Masuma told us just last week when we were there a new chapter in her, in her story that, that has begun to unfold, which was just, I, I, I was in awe because of the faithfulness of God. Her father uh, was a poli- political refugee, and when we, were, when we arrived in Tajikistan in the 90s, they, there was civil war going on, and so if you were against the, the current regime, you were your life was in danger so her father escaped to america uh, in the 90s to as a political refugee and he lived there um eventually um his wife was able to join him in the states as well i think they lived on the east coast somewhere and they lived there for many years when we were still there in tajikistan this was probably early 2000s uh, the mother returned to Tajikistan. The father stayed in the States. The mother returned, and she was sick, and she eventually passed away. The father continued to stay in the States. Um, we hadn't heard much from him. Um, now in his 70s, mid-70s probably. Well, he recently um, found it was, discovered it was safe for him to return to his homeland. So he came back to Tajikistan. And at that point, uh, it wasn't long before he married a, a young lady who was 30, 30 years old. He's mid-70s. This young lady's 30. Actually, because of the social and economic situations in a lot of these countries, that's what happens. Women just need a covering, and they'll, they'll settle for anything to give them that kind of covering. 
uh, because a woman who is alone there is often shamed and often put down. So, so they'll settle for, for anything almost, unfortunately. So um, Masuma, who's now almost 50, she's my age, now sees her father, and she, she, didn't, she, she also heard a lot about what her father did to her mother when they were in the, living in the States, how he just rejected her. And this is another cool thing. The, so the father pretty much rejected the mother, but the mother, in, when they were in the States, found, she found a, a Jewish Christian community on the East Coast somewhere that basically kind of adopted her and took her in. And Masuma, she didn't get to hear the full story, but Masuma really believes that this community, through this community, her mom found a relationship with Christ. So going back to Tajikistan now, 30-year-old, a 75-year-old father marrying a 30-year-old Tajik lady. Um, He calls his daughter one day, he calls Masuma and says, come quickly. My wife is, is, um, is out of control. She's throwing things at me. She's going crazy through the house. She's, she's got some demon or something. Come. So Masuma goes over there. She didn't like this situation either. She had to really pull herself to get, you know, push herself to go over there because she just, yeah, she didn't like how her father was <laughs> handling life. <laughs> so anyway, she goes over there and and God just gave her this opportunity to, to, in Jesus' name, in the power of the Spirit, praying in tongues, cast that demon out of that 30-year-old stepmother. I guess it sounds weird. <laughs> so she casts this demon out of her stepmother, and now her and her stepmother, should be her younger sister, but it's her stepmother, are going to church together, and, and she's discipling her. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? And the father can't say anything. She hates that the, she, he's hated the fact all along that his, his daughter became a Christian. Um, but he can't say anything to this. She's clothed and in her right mind now. She's, 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 uh, she's, uh, there's a, the, his home is at peace again. So Jesus is, I, I say that all to I just share that to say Jesus is a strong deliverer and he's going to go out of his way to make sure that those, we, that those that are in this, our circles of influence are impacted by the gospel in some way. And he will use your story and however, however strange and however messed up and all the history that we have and all the things that we bring into it and all the baggage... Jesus knows, and he can use our stories as we surrender our lives to him, as we submit ourselves to him. Jesus knows how to best get that story out and use us to proclaim the message that he is a strong deliverer. He can free people from the fear of death. And I'm just praying now, right now, in Jesus' name, that you'll free this 75-year-old man from the fear of death, Lord, and that you'll Bring him into relationship with you. God, draw him to yourself. Continue to use Masuma to bring a clear presentation of the gospel to him and let his heart be open, let his eyes be open to the truth, and let the veil be removed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus is our compassionate high priest. He's our compassionate high priest. 
For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This idea of a compassionate priest, it's not an attribute to be found in the Old Testament for the most part. We just don't see compassionate priests in the Old Testament. Rather, we see the fault of the priests was often their, their, their lack of empathy and sympathy for the people, their lack of compassion. And look at here in Hosea um, chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. I also reject you as my priests because you've ignored the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. The more priests there were, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glorious God for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. This was a harsh word. Um, priests had a duty, a sworn duty, to be compassionate mediators for the people. And they failed in that duty. And they went the other direction of being um, taking bribes and of being um, totally neglectful of their duties. Jesus is our compassionate and faithful high priest. He restored what what priesthood is all about, what it should be, what it's all about. And even in the New Testament, uh, later times in the New Testament, we we read about the Sadducees and and, um, the priestly aristocracy of especially the Sadducees, they were notoriously unfeeling and cruel. So can you imagine in this context the idea of of a compassionate and faithful high priest who would, that would appeal so powerfully to Jewish readers. And this pastor was, which has been, has shared with us um, about the Bible being a Jewish a Jewish Bible. I mean, it's Hebrew, you know, and it and so it was written for the Jews. And what how, what a message! How powerful it would be for the Jewish readers who knew firsthand how corrupt and deficient the uh, Aaron, the Aaron, the priesthood from the line of Aaron was. So this whole idea of and, and then, of course, we see as we read the stories in the book of Acts, Jews became believers, and, I, and even Jewish priests became followers of Christ. And I believe because that message appealed so strongly to them that there was someone who restored the priesthood and became that compassionate high priest, Jesus. So he knows our trials. He... He's, he's, he he knows them because he's experienced them. Uh, he intercedes for us on our behalf. Jesus positioned himself as our mediator in heaven, as a true servant of the people. So he's restored this idea of a compassionate priest. He's made atonement for our sin. He's, and he promises to be, to remain with us, to be faithful, to stay with us to show us mercy. 
I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by that today, that I have an advocate in heaven. You and I have an advocate, faithful high priest, Jesus. Where do you turn when you're tempted to sin? Jesus wants to help. He's in the position to help us completely as our faithful high priest. This poem, I think, says it well. When you are neediest, he is the most sufficient. When you are completely helpless, he is the most helpful. When you feel totally dependent, he is absolutely dependable. When you are the weakest, he is the most able. When you are the most alone, he is intimately present. When you, fear, fear, when you feel you are the least, he is the greatest. When you feel the most useless, he is preparing you. Let me say that again. When you feel the most useless, he is preparing you. I believe that to be true. When it is the darkest, he is the only light you need. When you feel the least secure, he is your rock and fortress. When you're the most humble, he is most gracious. When you can't, he can. He's enough. He's all-sufficient. When we lose heart, when the world and its chaos shouts, God is not in control. We don't see him in control. So therefore, he's not in control, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. He's the author of our salvation. He's our elder brother. He's our strong deliverer. And he's our compassionate priest. I've been encouraged to take a look at Jesus today. And I hope you have too. And let's continue to pay attention to him. Let's continue to fix our eyes on Jesus, even throughout this week. Let him lead you to those people who you can invite to Sunday's meeting and, and see what God does in their lives. Let it be just a God, it'll be a God-ordained uh, divine appointment. Uh, let's look for Jesus in every moment throughout this week. Let's pay attention to what he's saying. Let's stop and pause and reflect on who he is what he means to us. He's all, he's all our community. He's all we need. He's all our community needs. He's all our world needs. So let's point others to him. Let's reach people with the gospel. So I'd like to just close tonight just taking some time in worship to see Jesus with new eyes. Just, let's just ask him to, to reveal himself or just to change our perspective. Maybe you need a perspective shift. Maybe you need to see him more clearly. It was Chris, uh, Monday morning we were meeting together, who reminded me of this prayer from Ephesians. Um, Chris, I'm going to read it because I think it's powerful, and I think it's just exactly what I need. Keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is not on the screen, just listen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting with verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power, and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way.